Hello, I'm Georgie Barrett. And I'm Alex Goldstein. And welcome to the Sleep Life Podcast, the show from Simba designed to help you unlock your sleeping potential. Whether you have trouble getting your head down or you're interested in boosting your performance, this podcast is all about realising that sleep is very much at the foundation of everything we do whilst we're awake. In this series, we're looking at different areas of our lives where sleep really matters and trying to come up with some tips and strategies for getting the balance right. So, in this episode, we're looking at sleep and relationships. Alex, why is it such an important subject to take on? So, yeah, it seems pretty obvious that sleep would would have a significant impact on our romantic relationships and many of us tend to spend most of our lives sleeping in the same bed as and another person. That's weird, isn't it? I find that a weird concept <laughs> when you do think... actually do that's normalized. Yeah. When you think about how much of your life you spend actually sharing a room with another person, and I mean we as a brand we did a bit of um, user research which found that I think it was 45% of people in the UK and 43% of people in France found that their partner was a, a an obstacle, a significant enough obstacle to them getting a decent night's sleep. Romantic. Um, yeah, very. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, there are kind of bits of science and studies that we've done around this to show not only the impact on kind of sleep quality from that relationship, but what happens the next day as a result of sleep deprivation. And not so good is the answer. If you if you haven't got a good night's sleep, those relationships don't work as well. Absolutely. So just to give a, a couple of examples, one study by the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy found that couples with kind of mismatched schedules were more likely to have arguments. Although another from Ohio State University found that even if you both lack sleep, if one of you was better rested, you were more likely to work out your your troubles. Well, joining us in the studio today is someone who has studied and analysed relationships in order to create characters that we can all fall in love with. The author of best-selling novels such as Little Beach Street Bakery and the top five bestseller, Welcome to Rosie Hopkins' Sweet Shop of Dreams. Welcome, Jenny Colgan. Hello there. How are you, Jenny? We always start by asking our guests, how did you sleep last night? Oh, I slept very well. I was um, Where I come from, it really doesn't get dark this time of year. It doesn't get dark till very, very late at night. We're, we're coming into end of May, beginning of June now. And uh, so you just have to get used to the fact that you're going to bed when it's light. And that's fine. Do you have any techniques? Do you sort of do sleep masks or anything around that? No, but I, when my children were very small, I used to suffer from insomnia because I had that constant sense that if I didn't get enough sleep, then the next day was going to be very, very difficult with small children who are very adamant from about 5.30am onwards that they have stuff they need you to do. And so I developed a kind of system for working with that was just to go to bed a lot earlier. And if I'm in my great pleasure is setting my alarm and it says, you know, your alarm will go off in nine hours, 20 minutes. <laughs> and I always, if I have this amazing, that sense of like, you know what, even if I didn't fall asleep for two and a half hours, you're still well I'd within still your get plenty hours. of sleep. And that really, that really fixed it for me. So I like to be in bed early, as does my husband, thankfully. So, so how early are we speaking? Well, I, I like to be in bed by half nine. Wow, and after And lights out about, and then I read and lights out by quarter past 10, really. If I'm still awake at half 10, that something's. The fear starts to creep in at that well, point. Well, it just it really it hasn't happened for such a long time. And that's nice. Then, then ideally I'll wake up naturally. So you're very diligent about the early bedtime. I really like sleeping and, and I, yeah, and also I just, yeah, I just feel, you know, I've got a lot to do in the day. I don't want to worry about it. And also, you know, I had this thing, I had insomnia and it's horrible. It's such an unpleasant illness to have. That as soon as I found something that worked, then I stuck to it really pretty religiously. So. And Alex, how did you sleep last night? 
Yeah, I slept really well, actually. Our cat got out of the house and was wandering around and I was slightly worried he was going to... He has a tendency to wander in at 2am and then trample all over us and wake us up. But he, bless him, he stayed out all night. So he's fine, by the way. (laughs) So I managed to sleep easily. Now, Jenny, you live in Scotland with your husband and your three lovely children. And what sort of role does sleep play in your family life? You've already hinted at the fact that uh, you really prioritise it. Um, Are your children as respectful to sleep? Uh, well, they're, they're not bad, actually. When, when Because when I had my children, which was a, a little while ago now, there was something called Gina Ford, which now I think oh, has yeah. been outlined by the UN as torture <laughs> or something. Uh, but then... There, divisive, there, shall we say. It was very divisive. And there, there was this very religious uh, thing whereby every five minutes there was a schedule for something you're told not to be doing. And as a working mum, and also my husband's a marine engineer, which means he's at sea quite often, so quite often I'm by myself, I just took to that absolutely like a complete commandant. So, yeah, every single one of mine was sleeping through from, like, 11 weeks. I was ferocious about it. And it doesn't seem to have done them any harm. I will wait for the misery memoirs in a few years time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, they've always been pretty good. My eldest is now 14, which is a kind of cusp of an age. Yes. And he's starting to transition into the sort of moody, well, and sleep-loving also he's teenager. Six, he's six foot two inches tall and it's really... You know, and yet somehow still is, he's furious he's not allowed to drive a car. <laughs> it's like, tall enough to drive then. a car. Um, so it, it is getting to that point in time where if we tell him to go to bed at 9.30 and if he refused in any way, I'm not precisely sure what we, what powers we then have at our disposal. I think that, that will be happening very, very shortly. Yes. Now, uh, this episode is all about relationships. Would you say you're sleep compatible with your husband? Uh, yeah, we are. We're both real early bed, early risers. And I think it's really underestimated. Well, if you've been married a long time too, haven't you? I mean, the, all the stuff that you think you're looking for when you get married, it's such <laughs> utter nonsense in terms of what's important. Uh-huh. And I think this. Oh, I get really lonely if there's something I really want to watch on telly, and Andrew's just like, you know, nope, it's quarter past nine. I say yes, I get really lonely. I think there's a lot to be said, and I know there's the relationships where one person goes off to bed, and another person kind of roams about for hours, and then one person gets up in the morning, and one person doesn't, and that I don't. That wouldn't suit me. But you know, they don't put that Good luck on to them. But well, yeah, on yeah, the dating yeah. apps that should be. They don't put that on Match.com. <laughs> no. You know, but I think it's one of those small things that's actually incredibly important, which is that, you you know, you, you basically keep the same hours, particularly when you're busy and working and, you know... That is kids, really true. So. We do do that with TV shows where it's like if we're watching the same thing and one person wants to carry on, the other person no. doesn't, you always have to defer to the person who wants to go to bed. Yes. Yeah. Um, And Alex, there is some quite interesting research around this that actually if you are sort of compatible with your chronotypes, that really makes a difference in a relationship. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think about your partner disturbing you at night, that is actually much more likely to happen if your your kind of chronotypes are mismatched. And just as a kind of like slight recap. So chronotypes are sometimes divided into animals. So you have uh, lions, uh, wolves, dolphins and bears. And like 50% of us are bears, which means that we kind of... Uh, go along with the kind of with the sun. It's more or less people who go to sleep at ten, wake up at six, kind of that kind of thing. And it sounds like you may have a kind of bare household. I, yeah, I know. I think you're a little bit earlier. I mean, Jenny, no, I'm no, sure sleep, you could. You can provide. It's about right. Yeah, yeah okay. the alarm's on for half six, and I 
very rarely need it. Yeah. So, but then some of them are like more like a bit more skittish. So dolphins are a bit more skittish. And I did one test that suggested I was a dolphin. So I'm now slightly concerned. Uh, but there's also wolves who kind of get up later in the day, probably follow actually more of a teenager's body clock where everything shifts forward an hour or so. So yeah, you will actually see that shift. Like, oh, my, uh, my the... kid on the weekend is just, yeah. it's just, you know. And it's, it is science. Uh, unfortunately, our circadian rhythm, so our internal body clocks do seem to shift forward an hour during adolescence, which is obviously, super convenient when school times stay exactly the same uh, and when parents still have to work the same hours that they're always working but yeah it does seem like teenagers do shift forward an hour or so so they're not just making it up they're not they're not they really do need to stay up later and and, and go to bed and sleep, uh, and, and sleep in a bit but unfortunately the schedules don't seem to allow it and we we've chatted with a few scientists doing research into this and they've they've thought well we can't seem to change school times necessarily it's quite a big campaign to do things like that but let's try some sleep interventions let's try some sleep hygiene stuff teach them how to sleep get better sleep quality and it does seem to have an impact on their learning and development and at the other end. So it's uh, it's a good idea to at least try and get as good a sleep as they can, even if it's not ideal. Now, Alex, I know you mentioned earlier that stat about what, what was 45% mm. of us um, get, get annoyed with our partner in, in some ways or another. Um, what are your bugbears, Jenny? Have you got any that uh, you get annoyed with your husband about? Um, he's not a snorer. Which That's good. Really tick, tick. Very... Excellent. Oh, forgetting to put your phone on silent. Oh. oh, also, my husband's a Kiwi, which means his family and friends are often and up that's important. Bouncing oh, around on the other side of the world at half past three, so that's the only thing. And and this is in no way his fault, uh, but he is partially deaf, and therefore uh, anything, any noise in the house. I'm the only. He's utter, he's just incapable of hearing it. That is not his fault. Uh, but, but sometimes it's like, your responsibility. Oh, okay. To... You know, the dog ate a bat, and I'm the one that's going <laughs> to be on the dog bat exploring expedition. So there, there's something, and that is it's not his fault. There's nothing he can do about it. <laughs> but I was like, could you be a little less deaf? Would you, if you wouldn't mind terribly, uh, if you're handicapped, could you? But apart from that, it's not too bad. We are lucky though because we don't live in the city, and when you don't live in the city, of course, you can live in a slightly larger place than a you know shoebox. And the big, I would say, I think it's still the most expensive thing we've ever, ever bought was an emperor. Wow. You've gone big. Bed. That's it's nice. very, very, very big. And in fact, it's so big. I feel like it, it's slightly cheating because it's two separate mattresses. Ah, you don't get excellent. one emperor mattress, you get two, you know, um, and, and we can get all the kids in it. Everyone can get in it. And that is having a vast, vast bed. There's nothing else in the room, I should add here. You have to climb <laughs> over the bed to get to any other part of the room. Uh, but as luxuries go, it was a fabulous investment for us having this stupid... You can't get sheets for it, I should add. It's very, very impractical. We can't get it in or out of the house. We can never move. But That's it. You're, you're going to be sleeping in that bed <laughs> the for the rest of the time. We do do an Emperor's size mattress. Do we do an Emperor's size mattress? We do. So there you go. Well, um, you've looked into this a little bit about some of people's most mm. common bugbears when it comes to sleeping with a partner. Yes. Things like snoring... Temperature yes. control for me, it's always about temperature control. But I think maybe a bigger bed, that's what we need to do. Yeah. Go for a bigger We've bed. We've got an uh, electric blanket that uh, you each have a side. Okay. Uh, and you need that, need that in Scotland? Does One it get chilly at night? very much requires <laughs> an electric blanket in Scotland for roughly 360 days of the year. Yes. Really? Chilly, chilly, <laughs> chilly in the evenings. It's a lovely thing to have. What are the other common bugbears? Yeah, I mean, just to go back to snoring a second. So we put out a, a message on social this week. We're, like, We're going to talk about relationships on the podcast. What are your biggest bugbears? And the quote that I absolutely loved was, 
oh my gosh, most nights I think about all the ways I could get away with accidentally kicking my husband to stop his snoring. <laughs> I mean, snoring is a big one because it's yeah. really, really disturbing if you if you are sleeping with a snorer. I, I, it it breaks marriages, I think. It's yeah. 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 And I mean, I think people do sometimes go to the extreme of sleeping in different rooms. I, mean, I say the extreme. I actually think it's probably quite common to, that people sometimes sleep in different rooms, uh, particularly, I think, in the early stages of bringing up kids. Sometimes it makes sense if one person's gone back to work and the other one's at home or is breastfeeding or whatever. Maybe it makes sense to sleep in, in different rooms. But also snoring just if it's very intense and it can be a sign of sleep apnea. So it's pretty worth chatting with a GP if it if it's really, really troublesome. And there's there's sort of various devices and stuff that mm. claim to stop snoring. Do, do they work at all? Yeah, there there are sort of nose strips and rings and all sorts of things. And I think I mean I think if you if you're using them and you find they work, great. Yes, More power experiment. to you. You know, for some people it's just um, my my husband doesn't snore very much, but he does snore as he's dropping off, and so sometimes it's just that if I could just roll you so that you're <laughs> facing the other way, and then that stops it. So I think sometimes it's just lying on your back or lying in a certain position seems to trigger sort of more snoring. But, you know, the kind of gentle shove of... Very loving shove over in the other direction. <laughs> a loving shove. Or a very big bed. <laughs> hopefully you just can't hear it. And if you away. don't have a really big bed, I guess you can do other things to help te with temperature control. Because if you're in a small yeah. bed, then it's, it's hard to regulate it. Yeah, so actually what we need to do to fall asleep is drop our core temperature but have warm uh, extremities, so warm hands and feet. So some people who kind of really go in for kind of like grandma's bed socks, it's not necessarily necessarily a bad thing it just it depends on your individual I'm always freezing cold so for me that'd be great but so you want colder hands you want warm hands warm and feet hands. cold like cool core um, so actually having like a warm bath before bed, which can um, not not too hot, not too cold, just like a kind of tepid bath before you go to bed can help drop your core temperature a little bit. You, actually, the thermostat probably needs to be a bit lower than you think. So the kind of average, the room temperature for good sleep is somewhere between like 17 and 19 degrees, which is... So you're OK you know, in Scotland. You're OK. You don't, you don't 14. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why you want to put the heating on a little bit, but... Um, but yeah, for a lot of people, I think with centrally heated houses, probably kind of crack out heavy duvets and things like that, thinking, oh, well, it's winter now. It's like, no, no, our houses are probably warmer now. Your bedroom's probably warmer in winter than it is in summer. So like, don't go for all season stuff and turn down the thermostat. Brilliant. Um, Jenny, you also mentioned about having mobile phones um, in the bedroom. Is that is that something that you allow your kids to do? Have no. You, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny remnants of control I have over my own children <laughs> would extend to the obvious of not letting them have a phone in the room. <laughs> uh, no, no. But no you guys phone. use your phone as alarms and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I put it; it goes on uh, airplane mode at about ten ish. Okay. Um, and then only the alarm will wake it after that. Because there is lots of stuff written around sort of the impact of screen time ha that has on on. If, if everybody I love that's not actually under my roof asleep dies in a terrible accident, I'm just going to have to wait until the next day. <laughs> I'll probably you're handle sure. it better from well rested. Exactly. Anyway. Well, you would. We, we know that as, as fact. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some of the some of the impact of technology is like blue light uh, affecting melatonin levels before you're going to sleep. So too much light exposure sort of delaying the onset of going I'm, to I'm sleep. I'm sure there's something in that. But actually, I think what's much more likely is if you're on social media a lot yeah. is Twitter spikes your blood pressure all the time. So does Facebook. So yeah. does Instagram. You know, they're designed to stimulating, to isn't stimulate it? you. That's all they're for. They're just for that. And, I, you know, I'm as addicted as anybody else's, but I'm Absolutely. aware of that they are trying to change my mood to then accidentally make me buy stuff. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's 
what you're so. watching as well. So we spoke to Dr. Vicky Culpin, who was saying that, you know, it's like, no one wants to take anyone's Netflix away. No one wants to take the TV away. But if you're going to watch something right before you go to sleep, maybe don't watch something that's really stressful. Like like opt for something a little bit lighter and a bit more gentle on the cognitive mode. So that you get all these people frantically tweeting about something like Line of Duty, which is wonderful and great. But, oh, my God, they're going to bed so stressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also then it plays into your dreams. Do you find that you have vivid dreams, Jenny? No, I'm not as vivid as they were when I was younger. I have, I really have noticed that. But I, yeah, I, I, the last thing I think about at night, or when I put out the lights, tends to be work, um, like stories that I'm working on and things that I'm doing. And because I write for Doctor Who a lot, so that has a tendency to weave okay. in. There. And I have an all writers will do. This. Oh, in fact, all people will do this. I'll wake up and think I've had a brilliant idea for a story. I've had an absolutely corking twist. I keep a notepad by my do bed. Do you? Do you? I was going to ask you that. And then I'll look at it in the morning and it'll say something like lemon driving instructor. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute nonsense. Every writer I know has had the dream in which they have completed the perfect story you know and, and you don't and you, you don't find that in bit of inspiration actually it, it doesn't it doesn't fare yeah, well sometimes it in wanders daylight in, actually yes i i did actually <laughs> did a dream for uh, something uh, i won't i'm not even telling you what it is and uh, but i pitched it to my agent the next day and she went oh yeah that sounds great i was like great and i went off and wrote it and we couldn't sell it to anyone so oh, <laughs> it, was, that's good. it was a waste of about two months of my life oh, my God. stupid dream <laughs> is it still in a drawer somewhere waiting for its moment yes its moment will come Excellent. Excellent. And um, do you find that you're more creative first thing in the morning? Is there a sort of a time where where it flows a little bit more when you're writing? Uh, well, I tend to, first thing in the morning, I like to go out and get some fresh air and, and wake up. And that's quite a useful time. Yeah, I, I finish work by two. I'm no use after two in the afternoon. So, um, yeah, I suppose so. But I just, I, th- I think what works for me and it doesn't work for everyone in whatever line you're in is I like a very regularised existence. I like to do the same thing every day, to eat almost the same thing every day. You know? Really? Yeah. And that just that that helps almost the creative process. I don't, it just makes me happy, a cheerful person. I'd probably be much much better if I was kind of cavorting about the place. But. And uh, Alex, there's, there's lots of people who have sort of used dreaming and mm. sleep to help themselves become more creative. Yeah, so you, you get um, some brilliant stories about things that were inspired by bizarre dreams, from like the sewing machine to Frankenstein, all sorts of things that kind of came out of sleeping and dreaming. But there's a few people who who kind of try to game it. So um, I think both Edison and Dali try kind of naps during the day where they held metal objects like a key in their hands over a tray so that as they dropped off it woke them up that's interesting so they could kind of jerk themselves out of that dream state or not even a dream state at that point because you're still heading into deep sleep wobbly state yeah my oh we had to stop my one of my kids who kept setting the alarm for five oh because, (laughs) because then he would wake up and then he would drift back into a kind of lucid state which yeah. he clearly enjoyed but of course then the rest of the night would be away I'm sorry all of us heard that <laughs> <laughs> wow so he's he's actively doing that to amazing you. wow yeah, well, he's fact, one I, of the I greats maybe uh, I no, I did. Ca- I caught him trying to teach the other two how to do it. Oh my it goodness. was a very, very funny conversation. <laughs> and he just en- he, he just enjoys the the sort of the sensation of dreaming. I used to do it, and I think before I was a parent, because now I'm a parent and a working parent. So you wake up and you're bought up, right? You're like, I have 150 thousand things to do, and that you know. Whereas before that, when my time belonged to me a little more. Again, I used to love that waking up and drifting. And Stephen still on the weekends when you can kind of poke yourself back yeah. into wherever you were. I don't know if he knew he was doing it, but he was actually he was using a lucid dreaming technique that I think it was a, I think it's Stephen Labarge or Labarge. Sorry, I will check that name. Uh, came up with uh, which was to d- try and 
game the lucid dreaming state for creativity. So you'd set the alarm for an hour before you normally wake up and then wait, stay awake for an hour and then allow yourself to drift back off and have ways of recording, like a recording device or a notebook or whatever it is, of what you were thinking during those gaps and trying to trigger a lucid dream state because it could help with problem solving. So whether he knew he was doing it or not, he was right. uh, he was using an established technique. Oh, that's interesting. He's, no, I'm not telling him. He's not doing it. <laughs> Don't encourage him. <laughs> Don't tell him it worked, those but it Those days are over. <laughs> Um, Jenny, I'm fascinated with um, how you actually play with the idea of sleep and fiction. It must be quite a hard thing to write about. Did you ever touch upon it? Um, well, you have a lot of characters who are sleepless because, you know, you're you're dealing with people in emotionally charged times of their lives. Or you ought to be. Yeah, I, I use sleep very much as an emotional marker. And uh, at the moment, I'm writing about a girl who has anxiety attacks. And that's very tied up in sleep quality and, and concern for sleep quality. So, um, yeah. So it is something you actually think about your characters quite a lot in... In in, in, it, in this in this particular book, yes. And and also, I, I think, and particularly as you get older, and now I'm entering the age where a lot of my friends are perimenopausal or around that age, sleep becomes this great prize, or it can do, you know, if you let it run away from you. And that's interesting to me that the joy people get from a really good night's sleep... It's like it's like the joy you used to get when like a boy asked you when like fifteen. Or, you know, it's 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 an extremely aspirational thing, and um, that's interesting to me that it can be such a, a joyous thing to give someone that hasn't had it. And is your own experience of having insomnia has that played into the character at all? You know yeah. what it feels like. You do, but I mean, you know, you can imagine this. You know, I've never had an anxiety attack, but I can certainly understand how it could happen if you're in a crowded train or whatever. So, you know, a, a lot of it's imagination. But also, you know, we all know what a good night's sleep feels like. So, Very, very, very satisfying. Very satisfying. Let's let's move on to speaking about sort of nightmares mm. and in, in, in playing out in a relationship. Would you wake up your husband if you had a nightmare or did you sort of let him get on with it? No, but I, t- I tell him in the morning... But actually, my, one of my kids came in with a nightmare. And it's actually kind of, quite a nice bit of parenting when your kids have a nightmare they fall out of bed because they're so terrified. <laughs> they love you. And they love you so much. They need you so much. I said, like, oh, darling, tell That's me about funny. it. And usually it's nonsense, you know, it's like a big egg came. And um, so I said, like, oh, tell me all about it. And he went, well, I dreamt that I went to sleep. But then I was asleep for 50 years and I woke up and everybody I knew was gone. I was like, oh, my God, that is really... <laughs> what a brilliant story. That's a terrible, <laughs> terrible... That is a really upsetting dream. I don't know what to tell you, Michael. <laughs> um, so... Um, but it's funny, once they've said it, oh, they do seem to just let it go. Oh, yeah. Whereas an adult will be broody over that. Can I write a story about it? Can I, what, can I get it out of me in some way? What we found, um, because we lived in the south of France for a long time where a lot of people have swimming pools, uh, and about one child a week dies in the, oh, the uh, Provence-Alpes-Côte d'Azur, where we wow, used to live, just simply by falling into a swimming pool. And also my husband's at sea, so he's always on and off boats, and the kids were always running off boats when they were little. Is the two of us have the same dream all the time? Less so now they're big and they can swim. When they were little, we used to have the same dream. It was just losing a kid underwater. Wow. And we had it, oh. both of us. And we were like, oh, did you have the dream? Yes, I had the dream again. We were just, it, it was so funny because it was such a, it's the most dangerous thing in the region yeah. that can happen to a small child. And clearly really playing into your psyche. Was like completely no mystery about the psychological. <laughs> you were just constantly terrified because, oh, because kids would just wander into pools all the time. I mean, speak about wandering, you know, sleepwalking can also be really dangerous at times, can't it? If you're sort of, yeah. yeah, so sleepwalking is 
sort of to understand kind of sleepwalking and some of the sleep disorders, you sort of need to know a little bit about sleep cycles. So we we should go through about five 90 minute sleep cycles a night. Uh, and each cycle will involve some non-REM sleep, which is kind of deep sleep where the brain is kind of not particularly like you don't see the eye movement or anything like that, but the body can still be quite active. And then REM sleep where you've got rapid eye movement, you've got a lot of dreaming going on, but your body enters a sort of paralysis because if you try to act out your dreams, it could potentially be really dangerous. Yeah. So sleepwalking actually happens in the deep, the non-REM sleep, in the deep sleep phase. And there are some theories as to why that might be, like perhaps trying to shortcut waking up and something goes a little bit wrong. So the body goes and the, the mind doesn't. Um, and that can be it can be dangerous. Uh, and in fact, the question is, you know, is it dangerous to wake somebody up when they're sleepwalking? It might be difficult because they're in a very deep sleep phase. It's not dangerous to wake them up. But it's probably better to just steer them back to bed because if you if you leave them to it, they may steer themselves into a dangerous situation. Um, but much more common in children than it is in adults. So, again, some theories about kind of the development of the brain, the brain being able to sort between the different stages of sleep cycles and things like that. Did, did your children sleepwalk at all? Or Do you were know, they, they didn't, stationary? but I did. Oh, really? oh, no, Wallace did. Actually, my eldest did. I just, and we live in a really old house. And there's nothing spooky. I know, it's a child <laughs> wondering. <laughs> really pale child. <laughs> and you say their name, but they do not answer. Uh, it's really sinister. And actually, I slept walk twice. Jimmy got it from me. And the last time I slept walk was my, must have been Freshers Week at the university that I was at. And a bunch of people found me just walking down a spiral staircase. And Gosh. I remember it. I know. I remember every time I slept walked. And it was actually, like you say, just people would kind of tell me to go back to bed and I would just go back to bed. So you would have a recollection of it the next morning? Well, I remember it now. I just, I think it must be what being under hypnosis is like. You just, you're not particularly interested in who's in front of you, but you, you kind of know you're there and you don't at the same time. Anyway, don't do it in Fresh Week at university because that is all anybody will ever remember about you. And you'll get, you know, you're the scary, the spooky kid on the steps. So, yeah, exactly. I'm glad you, you were safe on the, on the spiral staircase because that's know, potentially quite terrifying. Physically, I was never, I know, you know, I didn't jump out windows and stuff, but I'd go up and down stairs quite happily. I wasn't physically bumping into things. I just wasn't awake in any real yeah, sense. Not that cognitively engaged, really, with what's going yeah, on. No, not at all. Just inside my body, but not. Yeah, it's a really odd thing to do. And then, yeah. It's sort of the flip side of something like sleep paralysis, where where you are trying to wake up, but your body's not moving. I've had that a couple of times. Oh, really? I've never had that. It's, really, it's scary. really, really horrible. So you can't, you so try and move and you can't. Yeah, so oh you sort of, your brain is awake and you just can't get up Ooh. or move. You really are, feel like you're paralysed. Oh, my it's, God, it's that's pleasant. Oh, it's, really uh, my husband gets it and I've, I've had to wake him up a couple of so times. Like, and he, he, he now knows that I will try to wake can him you, up, so he'll try. Can you make noise? No, not really. You just grunt. Yeah, you just grunt. Noises. Oh. It's really, it's quite, it's quite spooky. He now, really he now spooky. tries to grunt louder, knowing that I will oh. like gently elbow him awake. But oh like, yeah, no, it's quite scary to watch, but I think more scary to experience. And and the science behind that is that your 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 brain's awake, but your body's still yeah. got the paralysis. Yeah. Paralysis. So when you're in REM mode, you're kind of that's when your most active dreaming's going on and all that kind of stuff. And if your body wasn't paralysed, you you would sleepwalk. You'd try and do all the things that your body was doing in these dreams. <laughs> so so you are. Paralyzed for a very good reason, but if you've woken up and your body hasn't quite caught up with that, That's um, you can have that kind wow. of sensation. Yeah. I think it once you know, it lasts a, yeah. you know five seconds or yeah. something. But it's when you're in it, especially with dreams, you know, time's so warped, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, time yes. doesn't work as well. 
Um, there's also some fascinating um, research about that sleeping with your partner can actually make you sleep better. Yes, so there was one study, uh, and it was like a decade-long study by Dr. Troxell at the University of Pittsburgh that found that women in long-term stable relationships would fall asleep faster and sleep better. So there are there are some kind of sex differences in how people sleep. There are some certain trends that tend to happen to women more and men more. Uh, but it just seemed like in a long term relationship, uh, there is a sort of reduction in stress um, and release of anxiety. Just I think from it's that security thing, like you were saying, you get lonely when you when you sit and watch something by yourself or whatever. When you get into a certain routine, something about the stress reduction actually helps improve your sleep as well. So, uh, so your your husband Andrew sometimes is away on work. Do you find you sleep better with him around? Oh uh, yeah, probably. Does it not make too much of a no, difference? No, probably. The one thing you just reminded me about talking about the sleep paralysis is I on the not terribly often, but when he goes out. I have a terrible habit of falling asleep and then when he walks in the room, sitting up and just screaming. Because <laughs> I've been so fast asleep, I think an intruder's coming. Wow. Oh, God. And he doesn't, like, he used to think it was funny. He doesn't think it's funny at all. Well, I'm oh, home, oh. darling. You're just screaming at Yeah, him. yeah, literally. I'm just like... <laughs> Wow. Are you in general quite like a jumpy? Because I'm a very no, jumpy person. I'm not a remotely jumpy. Sorry, it's really made me laugh because I haven't thought about that for ages. Oh my god, that's so funny. No, I, it's when I'm really fast asleep, you know, and it, so he startles me, yeah. and you know, yeah, because often he is away, and I, it is just me and us. And um, oh, but yeah, he's so fun. he kind of pretends to find it amusing, but he really does. it's quite shocking <laughs> for all people involved. Oh, that's so funny! I'll need to remind. <laughs> oh goodness! Um, um, what are the general gender trends between the two different sexes? Yeah, so in in general, women are slightly more prone to. I suppose you could group it under slightly more kind of emotional uh, related sleep disorders. So more prone to insomnia. Uh, more prone to depression as a result of or connected to um, sleep deprivation and also restless leg syndrome. Uh, whereas men are more likely to show symptoms of things like sleep apnea, um, which is sometimes a condition underlying some snoring and things like that, where you actually seem to stop breathing uh, during your sleep. It can be quite frightening. Um, for some people, it's it's not that big a deal. But if you if if you think your partner has it, you should get it checked out just to make sure that it's not an underlying symptom of anything. But yeah, so they, they sort of in a, in a heterosexual relationship, you may find that, you know, one partner tends one way and one partner tends another way. Uh, do you have quite strict sides of the bed? Would you ever swap over sides? Uh, of the bed? Yeah, we do have quite strict. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I saw uh, something about people swapping mm. over and I was like, well, how'd that work? Where's your book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in fact, I there was one of those things where I kind of thought, I I'm not sure I believe you. I think you're just trying to sound interesting at a part. <laughs> do you always read before you go to sleep? Is that yeah? Is that... Yeah, I, th- I think it's a good. Well, I mean, it's just what I do anyway. I read all the time, but it's a particularly good habit. In fact, mm. my my Kindle, I read on, I read electronic books, and uh, my Kindle kind of goes, it just falls under my pillow. That's what it does. And I realised the other day, it's like my daughter taking her fox, her stuffed fox to bed. Just you so and your Kindle snuggled up together. To bed. That's the real relationship, isn't it? It's got a really soft it? cover. Have you ever done the thing where you kind of fall asleep and accidentally, because I have dropped things on my face before, I've dropped books. Uh, and I've fallen asleep in the bath before. and oh. dropped uh, books in the bath. Yeah. Oh, paper books, I hope. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> You can kind of rescue those, but a Kindle in the bath is not good. A friend, a friend reads in the bath with her Kindle in a plastic bag. 
<laughs> very oh, practical. Yeah. I did put a Kindle in a Ziploc bag for, oh, for a bath because yeah. I was reading something I really, really wanted to finish. And uh-huh. I, I just uh, I thought, well, I'm not going to fall asleep, but just it. from the splashing and things. So I'm very I've clumsy. I've taken my Kindle in the bath every day for since they were invented and I haven't dropped it once. And I am very clumsy parents. Well, still still surviving. <laughs> um, speaking of reading, what are you writing at the moment? Or have, you, have you just got a book coming out? I have a book coming out, which is called The Bookshop on the Shore. And it's about somebody well, uh, who is running a bookshop on the shores of Loch Ness. While simultaneously she gets free board in return for effectively looking after this bunch of feral children. I really, I wanted to write like the sound of music, uh, only instead of Nazis as a kind of deadbeat dad and instead of nuns there's a lot of books but apart from that oh and there's no songs but apart from that <laughs> exactly the same it's exactly the same all the parallels no I like yes no I like that I just do you know what it's been such a long time I love those books you know answer a mysterious ad to come up and look after a mysterious man's mysterious children you know I was just like I want to read that I'm, I'm in the mood for one of those so it is very much one of those so it's a guy that moves from London up to the islands obviously that's where a lot of Ness is and um Yes, has to kind of roll her sleeves up and get stuck in. So how, it's good fun. How, and it's, when, when's it out? And it's out June the 11th. Lovely. And how long has it taken you to, to put together? I'm always fascinated by the sort of creative process. Um, well, I tend to write, I write two books a year plus a big bunch of Doctor Who. Um, so, you know, I work yeah, reasonably. busy lady, reasonably Jenny. Quickly, so that's why I need my sleep. I do, know. Do. And you're off on the sleeper train tonight. I am back on the sleeper, yes. Do you, do you sleep okay on that? I do. It took a while to get, just to train yourself into it. But what's nice about it is you get a, a cabin to yourself. And if you always pick the one with the bed in the same size, you can kind of fool yourself into thinking it's your bedroom, even if it's not technically the same room. So it's just habit. I always try and make sure I'm asleep before we even leave. At 4am, the train separates at Carstairs and one half goes to Edinburgh and one half goes to Glasgow. And that's when most people wake up and have trouble because it clunks and it shunts. The trick is not to open your blackout blind at that point because there's just a bunch of guys <laughs> on the platform. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so if you can train yourself to go when you feel the shunt, just go, eh, it's all right. It's just Carstairs. Someone's going to be around at seven and, you know, and they bring you breakfast in bed and stuff. It's a lovely way to go. So, yes, I enjoy it very uh, very, very much. Well, I'm, I'm glad that routine's worked out well for you. Um, Jenny Colgan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Sleep Life podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sleep Life. Make sure you subscribe and we'd also love it if you could rate or review this episode. Now, we talk a lot in this podcast about things you can do to change your day-to-day behaviour or sleep environment, all of which are really important. But one of the easiest things you can do is just making sure you're sleeping in a bedroom that's really set up to help you sleep better. And that's what Simba is all about. You can check out Simba's award-winning hybrid mattress at simbasleep.com, where you'll also be able to find the rest of Simba's range designed to solve common sleep problems. We'll also drop any offers in the show notes, so keep an eye out for that. We'll be back in two weeks' time, but watch out for a special bonus episode dropping next week, a sleep story written by Claire Storrow designed specifically to help you doze off. Until then, sweet dreams.